because I don't know for a fact, but I can almost guarantee that there are other near peer competitors out there that are experimenting with stuff like this. You know, if Eastern Bloc Germany was impregnating power lifters and giving them abortions in order to increase females' levels of testosterone in their bodies to compete mm-hmm. at a higher level at the Olympics, I don't know. Wouldn't you think that there's certain unsavory characters out there that are experimenting with all sorts of cognitive enhancers right now? You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts. Hello, welcome to War College. I'm Matthew Galt. And I'm Derek Gannon. Drugs and war go together like peanut butter and jelly. American soldier boys smoked the reefer in Vietnam, the Wurmachs ran on amphetamine, and Viking berserkers were probably on... something. Soldiers have enhanced and altered perception using chemicals for centuries. But in the annals of getting fucked up and going to war, you don't hear a lot about psychedelics such as LSD and MDMA. That might be changing. With us today is Marine Corps officer Imri Albayrak. Albayrak is an ex- expeditionary ground reconnaissance officer and has served as an intelligence officer for 12 years. He's also the author of an interesting article in the February issue of Marine Corps Gazette, a professional journal published by the Marine Corps Association. It's titled Microdosing, Improving Performance Enhancements in Intelligence Analysis. It suggests, very basically, that military intelligence operations could get a boost if Marines dropped a little acid. Major Albayrak, thank you so much for joining us. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So I just want to state up at the top that uh, what we're going to be talking about today and the views that are going to be expressed are your own. They do not represent official policy or opinion of the Pentagon or U.S. Marine Corps. And I also want to say that our producer, Kevin Nodell, brought us this story and did a lot of the original reporting on it for the Daily Beast. So let's get some basics out of the way. Because uh, I think most people hear LSD and there's, you know, some immediate connotations that come up. Uh, but microdosing is different. What exactly is microdosing? So when I when I talk about microdosing in the article, um, and I highlight this, it, it's a sub-perceptible dose that's given. So essentially, you know, the walls aren't melting. Um, uh, you're not seeing dinosaurs and monsters um, and you're not entering into another dimension. It's a subperceptible dose that gives you a, a sort of a boost, almost as if, you know, when you drink your coffee in the morning, you get a little bit of a boost from that. And some people would say that they feel normal or they don't feel normal until they have that morning coffee. The microdosing is basically on the same level with psychedelics and um, doesn't necessarily have to be LSD. It could also be psilocybin as well. Um, and again, all of this is just based on the research and the reading that I've done. I have no firsthand experience uh, with psychedelics. Okay, so it doesn't per se get you high in any way, or at least that's not what the literature says. Correct. The literature um, and you know, the people that do have extensive experience with psychedelics and the anecdotal evidence is that microdosing does not um, cause any 
perceptible change that you would think that, um, you know, it's not causing sensory changes like visual hallucinations, and it's not strong enough to debilitate the subject. Okay, well then what are the benefits? Why would you do this? So um, based on some of the research that I've done, which is highlighted in, in the article, um, and some of the research that's been done by the Imperial College in London um, by Robin Carhart Harris, who's one of the leading researchers in the field of uh, psychedelics right now. The subperceptible uh, or the micro dose uh, still gives you heightened alertness, creativity, and helps with problem-solving skills uh, that induces a flow-like state basically in the mind that aids in the lateral thinking um, that you would need for things such as complex problems, which, you know, intelligence analysts are dealing with almost on a daily basis. Now tell us what uh, flow is a psychological term, right? It has a very specific definition. What is that? Correct. So the flow state, um, and I guess I I should kind of go back as to give the the background history on, on how I even got myself into writing this article. Um, and, and it all goes back to uh, a friend of mine who is a former Marine, uh, helicopter pilot. He's now out of the Marine Corps suggested that I read a book, uh, called stealing fire by Stephen Kotler. And when I began reading the book, uh, Kotler talks a lot about ecstasis and flow, um, and this heightened, alertness, uh, this heightened state of thinking and being that you can achieve and that people have been pursuing for years uh, to achieve, whether it's, you know, uh, what people might call maybe some adrenaline junkies doing high stakes sports, such as base jumping, cliff diving, um, you know, big mountain skiing, uh, some of that stuff that creates this type of whole body experience where things are happening and you know they're happening, but you're not necessarily thinking about the things that are happening. You're just reacting. You're therefore in the flow. Um, it's so like a, medi- it's a meditative state almost, right? Exactly. As a, as a matter of fact, uh, it's been flow has also been exhibited in Zen masters that have tens of thousands of hours of dedicated meditation time, guided meditation time, people that are really able to uh, slow down the default mode network of their brain, to slow down the chatter and to really enter this state of being that, um, you know, a lot of people describe it as being one with themselves or, uh, you know, those those of us that have done yoga, uh, you know, you start chanting Om, and it kind of gives you this this nice warm feeling of being one with with yourself, being one with the people around you. Just this very deep sense of being. And I'm wondering what the benefits of that are to intelligence work. Right. So. The, the benefits of that to intelligence work, uh, intelligence analysts are usually dealing with problems that are, that are created by other human beings. Um, 
problems can be varied. Problems can be of different sizes and scopes. But there's this uh, great quote by Albert Einstein, and I use that in the in kind of the opening of the article that no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. Um, the analysts that are that are working on problems and issues, they they really do need to be in a flow state. They really do need to be on another level of consciousness when they're engaging with whatever it is that they're doing. And some really good analysts can can do this. They can really put themselves in their work. They can really calm down everything else that's going on in the back of their minds. Um, and this is not just with intelligence analysts. You know, I think this applies to everybody across a wide spectrum of jobs, whether in the military or not. But you can really concentrate and you can really dive down and drive down deep into the heart of the problem and try to fix the issues or these wicked problems um, from a level that you necessarily consciously are not at. Now, what I'm positing in this article is that through the use of microdosing, we can get other analysts that are you know, still just as smart, um, still just as capable, uh, but get them to this level of flow without the thousands of hours of meditation uh, that these yoga and Zen masters have to be able to get into flow or the thousands of reps that professional athletes have when they get into their flow, like Olympic, Olympic level athletes, um, that they can just kind of turn that flow on and turn it off. Uh, my suggestion is that by utilizing um, LSD, by increasing certain connections in the brain, by heightening the alertness, the creativity, and the problem-solving portions of the brain, and inducing this flow state that's going to aid in lateral thinking, analysts would be able to connect you know, something that might seemingly be unconnected when you're looking at it um, from one level of consciousness you can all of a sudden start making the connections and solving the problems that seemed extremely difficult or maybe even unsolvable. Have you yourself ever experienced a, a flow state, obviously unaided by chemicals? Sure. Uh, I think that at, at some point, all of us experience a flow state. Um, if we do something for long enough, um, you know, I mentioned in, in my article that You'll see seasoned CQB teams, so uh, close quarter battle teams that are clearing rooms and buildings after doing so many hundreds of reps of clearing a room. They they achieve a flow state. They achieve group flow. Uh, and Stephen Kotler talks about this in his book as well of how certain teams can achieve group flow as well. Um, and that I, I have experienced that, um, whether it's, it was with shooting where you're just, you know, you're just letting the body take over a uh, part of the mind take over that wouldn't necessarily be taking over. And all of a sudden the target seems like you can't miss it. Um, and experienced it with, with skydiving and military free fall. Um, you achieve a certain level of flow. Uh, I think maybe more so there, the, the danger and the fact that your mind knows that everything in that act is do or die. Um, I think it forces you into a type of flow state. And I also think that it's why in high adrenaline sports, you tend to see athletes in more of a 
flow state or in ecstasis. Um, and there, there's another book about that as well called The Rise of Superman, uh, subtitled Decoding the Science of Ultimate Human Performance. And Stephen Kotler talks about, you know, wingsuit base jumping uh, and, and athletes that have done this. You know, there's extensive interviews with Dean Potter, who unfortunately passed away um, wingsuit base jumping, but just to kind of get into the mindset and, and explore how these athletes enter flow in a non chemical way. I think I've experienced the flow before I was a, I was in a, in a CQB team and a, in a SIF team. And we used to practice over and over again, blowing doors, going into rooms, clearing as many as times we used to call it free flowing so much so that you could actually not become tunnel visioned, but you could almost sense your number two and three man that you always work with around the room and know that he's not going to shoot. Like you, you just could feel like you could shoot and everything was going to be okay. So I guess that's, I guess that's what you're kind of talking about flow state. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, so you're essentially seeing things before they happen. Yeah, exactly. Even pieing a corner, I, I, you, you just get that, what, 30% low percentage look into a room. You feel like, okay, I know the rest of the room. Let's just go. Yeah, at that point, you know, there, there's probably, and again, it's very hard to do uh, brain imaging on a CQB team as they're doing, you know, as they're clearing. But I would say that there is probably a decreased level of default mode network of the brain that's happening, which is allowing you to get into that flow state, which, you know, once you start moving, you're flowing like water through a building. Yeah. Free. That's what we call it. Free flow. It just felt like you just felt like you were flowing through every, like nothing could stop you, even couches or chairs. It just, everything kind of moved out of the way. It was kind of interesting. Although we did use a lot of what you call PEDs, personal enhancement drugs such as like monsters uh, copenhagen i'm pretty sure monster is kept alive by the u.s military i'm pretty sure it is too but there's a but i feel like there's an as a as a medic i feel like there's an issue with these specific things that seem to be the the big three which is you know caffeine pre-workout nicotine and that's dehydrate like rabbit you talked about it in your article with the, uh, the uh, marine the marine times there about rhabdomyolysis, dehydration. And that's these these guys are using this now, so the offset for that is 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 what? Like how do we how do we monitor that besides having someone get an IV? Yeah, I mean I think, you know, like like you said, the supplement use is rabid across conventional units, across soft units. Um and these all have certain shown positive short-term effects, right? Uh, however, they, what they don't do is they don't, or they have not been shown to significantly elevate cognitive activity or enhance neural pathways or disrupt the brain's default mode network. And that I think is the biggest difference here between conventional um, PEDs that are in use right now and what kind of what I'm suggesting with the microdosing of psychedelics, whether that be psilocybin or LSD. Uh, you, you keep name checking uh, something. I think some psychonauts may know, uh, but the rest of the public might not. What is the default mode network and why is it important 
to get it kind of not chattering. Right. So uh, the default mode network of the brain is an area of the brain that's activated when the mind is wandering, uh, not committed to a task, and you're thinking about your own emotional state um, during a period of wakefulness, right? And uh, it's what's generally viewed as the ego. And the research shows that a person's problem-solving ability is, you know, and again, this is partially my views as well combined with the research is that a a person's problem-solving ability is typically constrained by his ability to think beyond his limited set of experiences uh, that are housed within that default mode network or within the ego. Uh, And the attempts to find solutions when you're when you're searching for solutions to a problem what do we do we we go and we look back at our past experiences and we try to find a piece of the puzzle that fits in to this space that we are seeing right so if i don't have that experience or if the the dmn as we'll call it as it's referred to the default mode network of the brain is not allowing you to find that solution or find that puzzle piece that needs to fit into a certain peg, you're going to have a high level of difficulty in attempting to solve um, any uh, problem or issue or problem set that you may encounter. Um, And again, a a good way to kind of go back to other conventional uh, military uh, experiences. If, you have been doing CQB, but let's say you haven't ever done a, uh, you've been doing homes, uh, urban houses, but you've never done a, for example, a gas and oil platform. You're going to try to find ways to turn that go plat, the gas and oil platform into a house in your mind as you are going through it and trying to clear it. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys can, can kind of uh, relate to that. No, yeah, definitely. We did it. We did a ship one time, and it was that's not what we do. It was we tried to turn it into a house. I, I completely agree with you. Also, you touched on the ego, and I'm glad that you said something about that. I, I feel, and this is just me in my hip pocket observation of special forces and special operations across the U.S. military as a whole. The the, the guys and gals that go and do this, they seem to be on an ADD or ADHD kind of spectrum, right? They're hyper-focused in that job. They're very interested into it, so they, they dial it down. They dial it into the last of the, of the nuts and bolts, right? That's at least what I, what I think. That's, that's also kind of what we are uh, bred to do, right? I mean, people always say, you know, lives are on the line. You are responsible mm-hmm. for it. You need to have contingencies for your contingencies, the, well, okay, so the thing that I don't like about that, or what, and you wrote it in your article uh, about it, you talked about Adderall, Ritalin, and Provigil. These three, and these are amphetamines. That's, let's just be honest. These things are, are synthetically created amphetamines. Am I wrong, or, or are they more safer than? No, 100% agree. I think Provigil is on a different spectrum um, than Adderall. It's Adderall the new go Yep, Adderall is absolutely a... Uh, 
amphetamine. And, you know, that, like you said, I talk about the, the high risk of addiction, the rhabdomyolysis, the kidney failure that comes along with abusing these drugs, or um, when you start mixing other things along with those drugs, because let's, let's face it, Adderall probably wasn't made for the healthy 20 to 35 year, you know, 24 to 35 year old special <laughs> operator that's doing all manner of physical things um, while at the same time, probably having some fun on the weekends, you know, with alcohol and staying up late and doing other things that basically is burning the candle at both ends. And let's be honest, you know, that's what they're going to be doing. Let's, I, I'm not saying they're children, but you know, that's what they're going to be doing. So let's, let's switch off the operator for a second. Cause you know that if you give him a 30-day supply of Adderall, he's like, yeah, sure, I'm going to take one or two for the mission and the weekend's going to be awesome. I'm not being, a, I'm not being an asshole right now, but that's, there's one or two that are going to do that. Let's switch it to Intel, like Intel analysis specifically, specifically target deck matriculation, where you've got to, re, you've got to find, you've got to, you've got to see in the matrix, is what we used to say, to kind of see a pattern of life, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, in your article, you talked about using LSD and psilocybin for that. Now, I've been out for a while. LSD. I've had. I've taken LSD. It's amazing. Uh, if you're if you're in the right mindset, it's you know the remapping, the MDMA, PTSD, what have you. But talk to me how or what or how LSD could absolutely, and I'm going to use the words of the street, open up the third eye of some Intel analysts hunting for a tier one target. How is that? And, and it's non-addictive. So how is that? How can, how is that going to be specifically like efficacious for that? Yeah. So again, what, what my hope is uh, for, you know, and, and who knows this, a study like this may already be in the works and I just might not have um, the right clearances to know that this was going on. You know, and, and someone could be off in a corner laughing at me right now um, and saying, you know, hey, bud, you're late to the party. Uh, but the what I would like to see to, to to see if this actually would work. Right. Because may, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe this is just a uh, a bunch of rah rah. And uh, all that's going to happen is the analysts that are exposed to an experiment like this or are maybe going to get better, deeper insights into themselves. And it's not really going to open up the third eye for them to be able to um, put together a good target package or uh, solve a complex uh, organization's org chart or figure out who is responsible for certain things within an organization. But, uh, and I'm not, you know, not familiar, not being familiar with the type of experience you've had with psychedelics, but I would venture a guess to say that you were probably macrodosing. Yeah, yes, I was. I wasn't microdosing. The majority of the the comments that I've seen, or the people that have kind of approached me, uh, they've always they always talk about their experiences with with psychedelics, which I think, from what I've read and what I've seen, is very. It's a very personal experience, especially when macrodosing, people have very personal experiences with psychedelics. And some of those experiences are not always really great. And that's why they talk about in the literature that psychedelics aren't necessarily an addictive drug because no one really wants to have those type of very personal, very deep uh, experiences 
on a consistently recurring basis. No, I didn't have a bad. I didn't have a bad. What the, I didn't have a bad trip. I, see, the thing is, is I, I, I'm not trying to steal the the microdosing thing. I did macrodose. The thing is, what I did was I read a lot. I, like I said, being an 18, like a special forces medic, you, you're wearing the loincloth. You're looking at alternative medication and alternative, you know, way of treatments. And I've been out, so I wanted to I, I wanted to experience a what they called a mind remapping, right? They, I wanted to remap my synapses. Absolutely. From this and you probably had the right setting. And you I did. Had the right set, you know. I did. I had the right setting. I, you know, I didn't go into it. I, I did, there was fear, obviously, because I mean, I've never done that before, and it's something that you you hear all the horror stories of like your face melting, whatever, and what have you. Um, but uh, the setting was correct, and it was absolutely an experience. Like I sound ultra hippie i am from portland but you know my parents are going to be super proud of hearing this later but i did have an experience that was positive where other people haven't and that's why i'm interested in microdosing because if you can get that i don't want to say alertness like caffeine but just awareness and, and your ability to think out completely outside of the square right and i think what you're you know what you're alluding to there is is enhanced cognitive function Yes. Right. So the other PEDs give us enhanced physical function, um, increased heart rate, pupil dilation, you know, uh, some of them uh, certain boosts of strength, etc. But the, the microdosing um, has, again, has been shown to, to enhance cognitive function, flexibility of the mind, the, the ability to, especially for a lot of us that are in this business, our egos are unmatched. And sometimes that gets in the way of our ability to problem solve and our ability to take a look from a different perspective. Because sometimes, a lot of times, I believe, when you start looking at things from a different perspective, you can see that your original perspective was maybe wrong. And not a lot of us like to believe that we are wrong uh, because I think that causes ego degradation uh, and it. You know, it, it hurts sometimes to have the type of lateral thinking, creativity, and uh, elevated mood to be able to see that you are wrong. Because, again, you said you had a positive experience. I think maybe some of the experiences that people do have is they see that maybe the way that I've been doing things might not have been the best way for me or the best way for the mission, uh, what have you. And sometimes that can cause a... Uh, Real cognitive dissonance between your ego and what's right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was a good experience. I, I, I did challenge myself, like, you know, the, the old wives' tales, of the, don't look at yourself in the mirror, you won't like what you see. So I did all of that, and I did have a, what they call a spotter, because I just wanted to make sure I was completely safe. And it was actually an amazing experience, and it's the same, like, you know, the, everyone goes down and does these, these ayahuasca, ayahuasca tours to to you know do the remapping i thought that was a little touch much to go down to costa rica to do that but and uh, and from what i read ayahuasca is very physically painful i also read that and i don't want to be in physical pain i want to enjoy what's happening i want to learn but everything costs gentlemen everything costs exactly everything does have a cost <laughs> Uh, how do you how do you sell the brass in the public on something like this and avoid the specter of MK Ultra 
you know, famously, in case anyone in the audience doesn't know, CIA's literal LSD mind control experiments. You know, that's what people think of when they think of the government and psychedelics now. Yeah, I think the, the some of the it was funny as this article kind of started going viral. Um, initially, the Marine Corps Times, not the Gazette where I was published, but the Marine Corps Times called it a study which I was pretty proud of. I told my wife, now there's two doctors in the house. She thought that was pretty funny as well. Uh, and then, of course, the reactions on social media were uh, men who stare at goats, MK Ultra, didn't we try this in Vietnam? Uh, hasn't this guy seen Jacob's Ladder? And, you know, any other basically vilified uh, perception of psychedelics that you can think of. And I think that that has been the the biggest limiter to having these, well, other than the fact that LSD is a Schedule One drug, which means that the FDA sees that there is no um, prudent use for it, no clinical use, nothing that would be of use from this drug. I think those are the things that have really stood in the way of meaningful psychedelic research. Uh, and I, but I do think that that's changing uh, with researchers such as Robin Carhart-Harris. I think that now we're in this third uh, renaissance of psychedelics and even, you know, uh, uh, Fadiman is having a resurgence. I just recently saw that on uh, PubMed he had published uh, uh, something, an article uh, called Mic Microdosing Psychedelics Be Safe and Beneficial in Initial Exploration. But the way to approach it or the way that I would approach it is by debunking some of the myths that are out there, you know, explaining exactly what happened with these old failed experiments of macro dosing. A lot of people also posted that video of the army uh, utilizing psychedelics uh, with a formation of soldiers and seeing what macro dosing would do to soldiers to see if they could either control soldiers or alter their minds. Well, it turned out just as they would expect, you know, the, the setting wasn't right. There were no spotters, so to speak of, they just gave these soldiers massive doses of psychedelics, sent them on their way without really telling them anything and tried to make them do drill, which I don't even like to do drill when I'm completely sober. So I can only imagine what drill and psychedelics would be like. Um, wow. And then, you know, the, the MK ultra experiments again, done on unsuspecting mostly, uh, subjects. Uh, I think at the time at the CIA, people were closely guarding their coffee mugs because their peers would come by and just slip some LSD in your, in your mug. And you know, that, that bad case of the Mondays, that's a totally different, uh, you know, different way to have a bad case of the Mondays. But from the perspective of, you know, explaining it to, I guess if I had to kind of defend this like a thesis, or if I had to go and ask for money or for the resources from headquarters Marine Corps or the intelligence department to be able to turn this type of thing into a reality, you would, and everyone that I've come in contact with that has read my article uh, from all different ranks, they've all been very interested in it and they've all said that this is the type of divergent thinking that we need uh, because I do believe that there's a certain amount of stagnation right now that's happening uh, with creative thinking within the military. But I would just explain to them 
this, what psychedelics really are, how they have been used, how they've been used in the past, and how they would be used in an experiment such as this. Uh, and I think that the military is a perfect incubator and a perfect Petri dish for experiments like this. And what I mean by that is you have a healthy, intelligent, screened population that you can utilize that are already volunteers and they can further volunteer for other studies. You can hand select and you already know that they have a certain level of education or a certain level of experience. Additionally, we are screened, you know, physically all the time. Those of us that have been in the military or that are in the military know, you know, if you need your teeth cleaned, your chain of command is going to tell you about it. If you need to go get your flu shot, you're going to hear it from six different people if you're on a hit list. So we are pretty healthy population under constant or consistent, I would say, maybe not constant, but consistent medical care. So it's easy to do experiments like this because you essentially have not complete control, but as complete as control can get when it comes to experiments like this. I completely agree because what you're talking about is you, you, you got physically fit men and women who already volunteered once. And then there's also like what you, you, I think you mentioned it in your article, special access programs. They can volunteer for these SAPs or SAP programs, special access programs and be under, you know, under the, 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 I guess the, the watchful eye of folks that are going to be monitoring this microdosing and everything else like that. But what I found interesting was that you think that this should be a like almost a double blind uh, codependent with DARPA. You do you think DARPA should should to take the reins for this, or this should stay specifically in in the, the five sided puzzle palace? I I think that. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think both could happen. I think DARPA has a lot of very intelligent individuals that, that works for it. And I think that it could be a co-study that could be done. And I only say that because they have a lot of resources and they have a lot of, a lot of money when it comes to stuff like this, um, just experimentation in general. So I think that that's where you can kind of gain the advantage. And it definitely, you need to have a double blind, a, a friend of mine, suggested to me when I was writing this article, well, you know, you need to have a third um, set with a placebo. And, and I kind of thought about that for a little bit, but then didn't, didn't necessarily agree with that because I didn't want to complicate uh, the study even further because um, I don't think, I think that might've, again, I, I think it just would have complicated things if you've got a, a placebo group and, um, you know, they're not because they're going to, they're going to know after a while. Uh, my assumption is that they're not, they're not feeling any true effects of whatever it is that they're taking. But I think it's uh, absolutely sufficient to have two groups, uh, one microdosing, one not closely monitored, closely monitored with additional drug tests as well to make sure that they aren't, using this study to maybe circumvent the DOD's drug policy and, and taking other drugs because they're thinking, oh, well, you know what? I'm being given drugs, so I'm going to use this to go and experiment with other drugs because I think that's very important to isolate uh, 
microdosing in a clinical setting from other recreational drug use. Well, the, the placebo is kind of it's already happening. If you think about it, let's let's even look at the intelligence community. You already you, you already have groups of fusion cells that are compartmentalized. You might as well just put give. And I, I don't know. I know that I know that you're, you're not trying to get money from the Marines right now. But if you were, I'd say put one group in with the microdosing and make a, two compartmentalized fusion cells work on the same problem set and see what happens. Right, and I think that you know that would be great, but. As I mentioned in the article, I would I would have something a little bit more controlled than a problem set because what happens with problem sets is if if you're working on real world problem sets or you're working on past problem sets, what can happen is you can have an analyst that has uh, experience with that problem set or somehow has seen something like that before, which could give one group over the other an unfair advantage, which could obviously tip the scales for one group over the other. Whereas I would rather have them doing something like playing a game of Go, which is an incredibly simple game to learn, but an incredibly difficult game to master, which is being used by Google as a benchmark for their AI. So I would, because the game tests lateral thinking, creativity, all the things that, that are important for good intelligence analysis, good cognitive work. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, let's say this, this goes, right? The military... It's it's 2025. The military is microdosing. What happens when you have a bunch of guys, guys and gals, getting out of the military? They're now veterans, and they they want to microdose in the civilian world to for X, Y, and Z issues or, or problems or, or 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 anything. They're technically, and it's still a class one. So they so these veterans who who have been using microdosing are now criminals, like. Forward, think that for me. Give me a hypo. Like, what would that be? Decriminalization afterwards, or, or what? You know, uh, maybe. Um, but then again, I think that the things that they're doing in the military, you would, you would kind of be exempt under under certain laws or under certain ways of looking at things. If you think about it, some of the things that we already do in the military, uh, other people might see as being illegal. You know, we we do go to other countries, we do kill other people. Uh, it's mm-hmm. all in the name of good uh, and peace, um, and we follow orders, um, and and it's not really up to us at the lower levels to decide whether, you know, as long as the order is legal and um, you're not violating any laws, uh, whether that's the Geneva Convention or any other rules that we are bound to as an ethical military, I think that you can't necessarily hold service members responsible for things that were done uh, under, you know, orders or under a, um, if, if you want to talk about the experiment or under a program, which was deemed legal by the government itself. Mm-hmm. You know, but now if you're talking about now they are out and they want to continue to do these things, I mean, there's plenty of people out there that are microdosing. There are plenty of resources out there that people can research and find. Uh, countless Reddit subreddits, countless forums. Uh, I mean, you know, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Research. Right. And a lot of resources that people can go out there and, and find things about microdosing and psychedelics. And, 
at that point, I think we're all big boys and girls. You can kind of make the decisions with your own life as to what you want to do moving forward. And um, I think that psychedelics are becoming a whole lot less taboo, just like other drugs, which are not, we're finding that they're not as um, demonic as they have been made in these, uh, in the past years, we're finding that they're not quite as evil as we thought they were. And I think a lot of these views are going to continue to evolve and continue to change. Um, and who knows, 15, 20 years down the line, some of the things just like prohibition, right? I mean, alcohol was the devil mm-hmm. and we, we had a prohibition in this country. I always remind people of that. And now alcohol is probably the easiest drug to get a hold of in this country. Um, and also something that causes the most harm, both to users and to others. Um, so the world is a strange place, you know? <laughs> um, but, but I will say that, and I mentioned this in my article as well, war is not fair. And if something gives us the advantage, whether that's physical or cognitive, I think that we need to take that advantage and run with it as far as we can before someone else catches up to us. Because I don't know for a fact, but I can almost guarantee that there are other near peer competitors out there that are experimenting with stuff like this. You know, if Eastern Bloc Germany was impregnating power lifters and giving them abortions in order to increase females' levels of testosterone in their bodies to compete mm-hmm. at a higher level at the Olympics. I don't know. Wouldn't you think that there's certain unsavory characters out there that are experimenting with all sorts of cognitive enhancers right now? So, and, you know, I'm sure uh, either both of you or, or some of you have read the book and some of your listeners have probably read it too, a book by uh, Norman Oler by the name of Blitzed, Drugs in Nazi Germany, that essentially talks about uh, uh, pervitin, which was an amphetamine, being the drug that fueled the German Blitzkrieg and, and that style of fighting. Um, you know, our competitors are out there and they're looking for an edge. And I think if we find it before them, you know, war is not fair and we don't have to play fair. There's no uh, World Anti-Doping Association, you know, doping officials waiting for me at the at the finish line of a, at the end of a phase line or after I clear a house, you know, asking me to uh, urinate in the cup, even, even in, in modern combat right now, you know, if you watch some of these uh, documentaries or YouTube videos and stuff like that about what's going on right now in Syria and Iraq and with Daesh and ISIS. And those guys are, I mean, those guys are high. And again, it's not the type of, of cognitive enhancement that is, that is beneficial in any long-term manner and not something that I would recommend for the U S military, but they're experimenting, you know, they're, they're trying to see what works. I, I completely, well, I, I, I can tell you for a fact that when I was in Iraq and this was an early in the, in the war around the 0809 or, or even in the 03 time that the Mahdi army and, a- and AQI were very much into amphetamines so much so that they would fight even after being hit a couple times. They just kept, they would just keep coming at you. These, I mean, it, it's, so the propaganda is these guys are true believers, and I definitely know the Islamic State is into it, dosing up 
high doses of amphetamines to their fighters too. And like, there you go. You've been blessed by Allah. Now go crazy. But with that being said, the, the go crazy, you know, running amok type of thing. And you, you look at some of the reporting negative wise of steroid use in the, in the Iraq and Afghanistan war and how that kind of does that. And I'm going to do, you know, these kind of road rage from us troops kind of in, in combat zones committing, you know, kind of been linking to war crimes, you know, what happens, what, ha- cause it's, it, it will happen. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's not going to, what happens when, when the U S goes too far with this? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And hindsight's always 2020. Um, and I don't think that right now I have the uh, answer for something like that because I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what too far looks like um, right now, especially with cognitive enhancers. Uh, which is kind of what I'm advocating for, you know? So, um, because again, my expertise is in the field of intelligence and I've spent time with reconnaissance units, but what I want is a, a smarter, more adaptive, more mentally lethal and cognitively flexible and creative, uh, intelligence analysts within the Marine Corps intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance enterprise that's going to allow us to get to the next level. I guess you're, I guess you're right because steroids, they they enhance the fight syndrome instead of the flight fight or flight. They, they enhance that they, they, it increases aggression. Whereas what you just, you kind of just explained it. You're looking at microdosing as a cognitive lethal becoming cognitively lethal. If you go too far, you're experiencing ego death. It's not the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's pretty much the exact opposite of steroids, if you will, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the so one of the things that has been brought up to me again by my friend, uh, the, the former Marine uh, helicopter pilot, that's that's he's very into into psychedelics and researches a lot and very intelligent on it. He said. You know, one thing that I could see, he said, from this is what's going to happen when, and this might not happen with microdosing, but everyone reacts differently and it may happen. He said, what's going to happen when the cognitive abilities of these Marines or sailors or airmen or soldiers become, start to become so enhanced and expanded that they get a look inside of that total connectivity, you know, the the psychedelics, the whole movement of the psychedelics being about love and peace and that we are all connected. And he said, what, what starts happening when, if they get a taste or a feel of that and they start to realize I'm using this as a war Hmm. machine. And he says, is that going to cause them to step back from what they're doing and not want to do, you know, not want to, as I've, mentioned it said to a friend, you know, expand your mind, expand the targets. But Hmm. if you expand your mind, what if you don't want to expand the targets? That's the one drawback that I could see. I guess it would have to come down to the psychology of the, of the individual. I think you're right. It, you know, that's taken, I hate doing this, but let's take in nine 11, like the psychology of being attacked that you would think that if you could microdose to expand, and we're going to talk about target decking, it would have to. It would almost kind of kind of break down to the more the morals and ethos of of the individual operator or intel analyst or soldier or airman or marine, right? It would break down to what he thinks. Okay. Exactly, and of course, and I mentioned this in the article. You really have to 
the research for the subject is just as important as the research itself, because you have to be able to not only have analysts that know what it is that they're doing and are very well versed in the basics of intelligence, right? Because it's not going to immediately make them the best Intel analyst in the, in the world. And they're not going to, you know, this isn't the limitless pill. That's what I want to kind of be clear out there. You're not going to take the pill and go to sleep on, you know, MCDP2 Intel analysis and wake up and know everything that's in it. So you need to, you need to choose wisely there. And you also need to screen um, because even though there are a lot of healthy individuals in the military, there's also a lot of individuals that, that have some, some issues, whether issues caused by uh, early childhood or development or issues caused by what they've seen in war um, or what they've experienced in training or what they've seen their friends go through. So you also need to make sure that there aren't any sort of sub-cognitive issues that may be also enhanced by cognitive enhancers. I think that that is the perfect note to go out on. Major, thank you so much for coming onto the show and telling us all about uh, microdosing in the military. Gentlemen, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I hope the message gets out far and wide because really that's all I'm here for. Thank you so much for listening. War College is me, Matthew Galt, Kevin O'Dell, and Derek Gannon. It was created by myself and Jason Fields, who doesn't want a party. Please stop asking. Follow us on Twitter at war underscore college and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash war college podcast. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes and leave a comment. We will talk to you next week. Until then, stay safe.